podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Yo, yo. When I spit bars in a ring, I'm gonna go hard like Santan. Hello and welcome to another episode of Touchline Fracker. I'm joined this week by two winners. Uh, you could be uh, convinced otherwise based on their appearances, but we'll we'll get into it. Uh, Mosh, it's been a few weeks. How you doing, brother? Yeah, man, it's it's all good. A, a lot of ups, and then and then the down has been has been a bit big on the results and the injury front. But, right. but we're here, man. Looking looking forward to getting stuck in. Feel like I haven't given my perspective in a, in a little while. So it's, so it's been a, it's been a minute. I'm still waiting on you to respond to my text messages from obviously that fateful day with with Klopp. But you're here now, so we'll, we'll talk. I think we'll people have seen me at my lowest in it. You know that. Marilyn Monroe quote of, if you haven't seen me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. That, that, yeah, that's, that's you, yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, we're also joined by, uh a co-host at this point, uh, Disu. How, how goes it? Yeah, not too bad, bro. Not too bad. Yeah, United win, which means you're not happy. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll also get into that. Um, before I start, I've got to do the usual plug to socials. If you're listening on the... Twitter, but you're not following on the Twitter, sorry. Give us a follow at, at Touchline Fracker. Um, Mugger's represented here by myself and this is that's TLF underscore Mugger. Got Cop and Fracker represented by Mush. You've also got Touchy Gunas, Chessie Hour. That's two S's in a Y, not Chelsea Hour, Chessie Hour. Uh, we also got NSO New Spurs Order. So if you're somebody who likes to hear specifically about your clubs, get into the club pods. But if you love the, the weekend kind of overview, to make sure you give those accounts a follow. Uh, give us a rating on either Spotify podcasts or Apple podcasts. Uh, just let us know what you think. I might be uh, reaching out to some listeners to get some feedback in the coming weeks anyway. Anyway, with all that being done, uh, a nicer weekend than last just because uh, some of our ops actually bled. Um, we're here to talk through it. Let's start with the, the, the game that just finished, the Sunday 4.30, All Eyes on Me special. Almost feels like the Manchester United slot these days, Disu. Um Away at Kenilworth Road. Listen, man, this Luton team, they are not coming here to play. What What were your thoughts going into the game? Obviously, we've picked up some good results recently uh, and Luton are really difficult to play at home. What were your thoughts going into this one? Um, I thought it would be like a struggle. I thought that Luton would get the better of the game. But United will come away with like a scrappy 2-1 or 1-0 or 3-2 victory. And it kind of almost went to script outside the fact that United started really well, got a quite fortunate goal. Like Casemiro just kind of cleared the ball and then landed with a Luton defender and they just played a through ball to Hoyland. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And Hoyland had a composure to run the keeper. I thought he kind of messed up, ran the keeper. I think he went a bit too wide, where to Pep, but he managed to slot it in. And then Rafa had an opportunity, he ran through like four people, um, hit it just wide. And you know, it looked really good. Get a fortunate goal for Hoyland. Another, well, not should I say another, a trademark Garnacho miss hit. And Hoyland, I'm not sure if you guys think he deliberately meant to flick it with his chest slash shoulder into the net or just kind of hit him. I think he meant it. I think he meant it as well. And if he did, that's a, that's a brilliant a bit of improvisation. Right. And up to nil. I was like, okay, cool, right. These guys are going to get pasted. And then all of a sudden, Luton just started just cooking United. And for literally for the next maybe 50 minutes, it was all Luton. Like, I think they had at the last, at the end of the first half, they had the last 10 shots on goal and they had 58% possession. They were just popping. Lukonga and Barkley were staying on profile on our head tops. Yeah. And they were missing chances, great opportunities. And I was just thinking, rah. 
Bruno Fernandes and Casemiro, that first half. Nasty. They are two horrible. Those two plus Harry Maguire, the stink fest those guys put in was 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 absolutely ridiculous. Harry Ma Morris was giving Harry Maguire a horrible day, a day that he hasn't seen in a few months. <laughs> Casemiro was either losing the ball or constantly late to challenges. I'm surprised he didn't get sent off. And Bruno same. Fernandes has been playing the same way for the last six months, if, if my memory serves me well. Doesn't it was literally... Bro, it, was, it was literally like, Bruno was like, okay, cool. We, Anthony doesn't play anymore. And Anthony had the very, very prestigious role of counter-attack serial killer. So Bruno said, I'm going to take the mantle from you, Anthony, and ensure that I kill all viable attacks in your honour. And that's what Bruno was doing. Did you get what I'm saying? That's what Bro was doing. Just <laughs> nasty work. Him and Garnacho were just making me very, very sick. And in the midfield area, it's every game. And we've added in Mainu, who we got from La Carrington, who is right. a special player, special talent, I say. He looked good. But the other two brothers, as I've been telling Muga, they absolutely stink, bro. Yeah. They really stink. And every game is a basketball game, Man United, no matter who we play. We could play Barcelona. We could play Luton, we could play Arsenal, we could play Wolves, we could play the Phoenix Suns. It's going to be the same type of game for up and down basketball. So, yeah, and then obviously, even the second half day, we're still creating more chances. McTominay and Evans come on, and it didn't really change much. I think I think Evans defended better, and McTominay was probably a bit more useful in terms of like going forward and stuff, but Luton was still dominant. And then United just randomly just started creating chances. And then Garnacho. And Bruno was just consistently fluffing the lines. Yeah. Bruno had opportunity to round the keeper. Obviously, he runs at the speed of, of a snail. And Lokongo got in to make a good block. Mm. Garnacho, I think he he just shoots. Spot, bro. He, just uh, like pick your, everyone thinks they're on nine nowadays. Just pick <laughs> your spot, man. You're one on one with the keeper. You've got either side. Oh, yeah, Garnacho did it as well. Garnacho, no, no, it wasn't Garnacho. Yeah, Garnacho did it. And Dallo did it. We had yeah. three people who tried to run the keeper and failed. Um, that must be a Premier League record, yeah? Uh, Garnacho is an interesting one because I've never seen somebody mishit the ball in the same way, yeah? So, like, do you know when you're trying to play football, yeah, Mush, yeah? And you're yeah. trying to hit the ball with your instep and hit it with speed, but you just you just hit the top of the ball and the ball just kind of, like, is like a very light attempt that just rolls the keeper. Yeah, he yeah. does that all the time. <laughs> like, how do you do that? You're a pro. You get what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't make sense, fam. Like, these men are just not good. And then, but the other thing is that United had numerous opportunities to kill the game at 3-1. And they just couldn't get it because the quality was lacking. I was like, I think Hoyland had one chance. And it's kind of mad. It's got to a point where I kind of just want to chance the foot to Hoyland because he's the most likely to take it. I don't trust Rashford anymore. I don't trust Bruno for a goal. That was the one thing, that was the one redeeming quality Bruno had. Was in front of the goal, he was money bags. And that's gone. So yeah, man. Unfortunately, that's four wins in a row. Um, I think Newcastle. I'm not sure what Newcastle did. I think they might have drawn or won. I can't remember. Uh, I know Spurs won. Villa won. Okay, Villa won, but New but Spurs lost. Yeah. So now United are even closer to the top four, and it's just annoying because it just means that we're just going to be even more mediocre going forward. Because I don't care what nobody says. You can't use the injury excuses. You can't use the players' excuses. This is Luton Town. The stadium is the size of Croydon Box Park, and their coach outcoached ours. So. Yeah, man, just more another week of demoralizing Manchester United med mediocrity. Yeah, I really couldn't say it, said it any any better myself. It, it's interesting now because obviously we went from a team who 
couldn't score, couldn't really, didn't really feel give you that feeling of like being defensively safe to a team who actually has an attack who's able to get into dangerous scenarios. But every game, it feels like we're leaving goals on the table. And as dominant as Luton were, they weren't creating the clear-cut chances that we were creating. Hoyland also had a really good chance to get his hat-trick, hit it straight at the keeper. More sure from the outside looking in. I'm going to ask, you're a hater. So obviously, yes. like, asking you is also risky. But I'm going to put it out there anyway. From the outside looking in, um, obviously Hoyland scoring now. Uh, German down of touch of Gunas was calling him Dolberg, Guni Sarave, all, all that kind of stuff. All that kind of stuff is like, you know, died down now. But from the outside looking in, what, what are you seeing when you watch Manchester United? Um, do you know, it's so hard to judge United today because I really want to turn my nose up at it, yeah? But we didn't beat Luton. So it's almost like I'm speaking from a place of like, oh God, it's rich coming from you. But I think that the main difference between maybe other teams struggling somewhere like Luton and United today is that this wasn't a big team not playing great and having a bad day. This was who United are and this is how you would play against Luton. It wasn't United dropping a level. And it just, it literally felt like United's midfield did not exist at for, for vast majority of that game. And, and, and it was just so weird because it's, it's what you guys were saying with the whole attacks breaking down. It gets to a stage of like, you know, when we talk about Darwin, for example, and we say, oh, the chances are there. It's about whether he'll take them or not. But I really have no expectation that, like, it's what Dissus was saying with Garnacho's crossing. There's no reason why a kid who spent 11 years becoming a professional footballer or whatever it is can't execute certain things. And the number of times I see United players roll their eyes at each other, put their arms out at each other, not expect things of each other, I just think it's conducive to an environment where players stop making runs, players stop expecting good moments and it just leads to chances not being created. I just think United created loads of chances today because you're, it's going to sound so reductive, but your players are fast, man, up front. That is it. Like, they are quick and there's not much of a solution to pace. So, yeah, I, I don't know because I think a lot of people in other spheres who support United will see someone like Menu as the least established player in the team and maybe he is career-wise but when you watch him on the p on the pitch he's the only one you wouldn't replace in that midfield right and I just think Ten Hag is has been brave enough to finally take Anthony out of the team is yeah. that bravery going to continue for the likes of Casemiro for the likes of Bruno how brave can you be these are still big assets of the team but are hey, they though are they are they are they assets based on this is the thing. It's not based on anything they're producing. I can admit <laughs> It's just assets based on how much they're worth on FIFA Ultimate Team. Hey, yo, I got this painting from Van Gogh. Yeah, but <laughs> it was when Van Gogh was three years old. It's just a drawing on the, on the fridge. No, nah, but trust me, it's a Van Gogh. I'm telling you, he's got his signature. But he was yeah. three years old. It's just a sick man. But it's Van Gogh, though. That is the Casimiro. <laughs> And Bruno on our balance sheet. That is what they're about on our balance sheet. You know, this is like, yeah? Is that Casemiro obviously Saudi bound? Like the Saudi bound segment of our award is named after him. Cool, we know that. What do we do with Bruno? We got him for about 60 million. I don't even think we recoup what we paid if we put him in the market now. 
I would love to know what Bruno's worth. I've just clocked what Casemiro is. Ninety ninety six million Al Hilal. No installments. No installments. Straight up Al Hilal, Mitrovic, Malcolm, Bruno. But, so I, can, I, I can already see the poster. I can already, I can already see the poster, bro. Ninety-six. You're you're taking half of that. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take sixty, and I'll be glad. What were you gonna? What were you gonna? I'll, 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 I will take. I'll take sixteen. But you gotta start off high, brother. One six. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I, bro. If somebody told me you lose Bruno, but you have to pay forty million dollars own budget, I'll take it. No. I will take it. Pay forty million to get rid of him, just so I never have to see him again. Right. Uh, right, it's 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 uh like there've been many iterations of Bruno, and you've you've listened to the pod long enough, and you've been on these pods, so you know how we felt about Bruno the, all these years. This is the worst he's been. <laughs> this is without a doubt the worst he's been because even the Bruno who I said this is not a football, this is not a footballer, he'd get goals and assists, and he would actually have at least moments which would like lead to us winning games. Like, ah, you won again this week, Bruno, but I'll see you next week. Now. He's literally the difference between us just seeing out a 2-1 and beating a team 3-4-1, you know? Like, based on his decision-making, his execution, his finishing, his temperament. Yeah, it's it's very, very bad to watch, man. I just don't really know what we what we do. And this is my issue with Ten Hag. Um, and when you talk about, their, like, they're playing based on value, it's like, you're watching them these performances week in, week out, which are not value-add, and you're not being the sort of manager who needs to like put them on the bench, and you will play one of the even one of the young G's, and they'll give you a better performance than this. Like Mariah, why does he have to play every single game, every single minute? We don't even rotate him. Like even yeah. City won't play KDB sometimes. Right. Even Liverpool won't play Salah or Trent sometimes or Van Dijk. Just right. he plays every blasted minute. We could be up four 0 He's still got fucking play. I don't understand it. And to me, no. No manager is going to willingly play a, a player every single minute. Right. That's that's on him. So why has he got so much cachet in Manchester United? What has he done here to achieve to have that level of cachet? What has he done? The club has literally won the Carabao Cup since he's been here. That's it. That is literally the pinnacle of Manchester United achievement. And being second, finishing 5,800 points behind Manchester City or Liverpool. That is the pinnacle of the Bruno Fernandes era. And this guy... It's running around like he's Bill Belichick. I just don't fucking get it. Why can't we beat this guy? It's so frustrating. Yeah. Watching him today. Oh, I can't. oh mate. Yeah, that there was a left foot pass he did where he just oh, like, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. 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 Bro, he nearly went to the corner flag, you know. <laughs> he, was, he was in the middle of the center circle on the counter-attack. Garnacho is keeping it in play from there. He's in on goal. Shall I tell you what's mad here? Because I was just about to type Mainu because Mainu did a nice flick around right. the corner first time and he got clattered. I was like, bro, that's sick. And before I could even type the N and the O in his name, I had to delete that and type my blue slander because he just <laughs> fucking kicked the ball outside of Kenilworth Road. <laughs> it is nasty. It is nasty. And then you've got the other brother, Casemiro, man. Like... Yeah, I can't know what Casemiro is. He's Averex jeans, bro. Like you have to, <laughs> you have to convince people that these were sick. <laughs> <laughs> he is Averex jeans, from John Trent, bro. That's that's who. I, 
that's such a good point. Because obviously, that's like, unreal. Yeah, people who like didn't watch him in his Real Madrid days and maybe weren't fans. I knew Casemiro wasn't good. I knew yeah, he wasn't yeah, good. Yeah. Like, he, he gave us like a good two months, then World Cup, came back, had lost a step, and he's lost another step since losing a step. Which means now that Mariah, Mariah, we might as well do the segment. We might as well do the segment now, cause we might as well do the Saudi segment right fucking now. We might as well do it right now, bro. Right, Casemiro, Casemiro needs two weeks with Eddie Abu, bro. That, that's <laughs> Honestly, uh, like, and this is the thing, like. We've won today, and obviously that means we're a bit closer to Spurs and we're a bit closer to the teams above that. But this is not real. That motherfucker back there is not real. Like, these performances are not going to lead you to finish in top four in this league. I refuse to believe it. The only like shining lights for me at the minute is obviously Hoyland's bagging goals, Kobe, Kobe Mainu, um to um and Martinez when he when he comes back. And Dallow's actually been really good this season. So those four are kind of like the foundation. Luke saw absolutely cooked. Get him out, get him gone, because he obviously can't stay, he can't stay fit. And we've built a lot of the way we play around having him and Martinez in the team. And most of the season, like neither of them. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can, can we talk? Can we can we for for Luke Shaw? I think yeah. Shaw's he's become very good technically, mm. but his technique doesn't really mean anything outside of playing out, right? So if we compare him to other fullbacks in the Premier League, the prototype is very obvious, like fullbacks that are powerful and that can run all fucking day. Two things you cannot say about Luke Shaw. Also, our fullbacks are like getting either getting to the byline and putting in mad, mad crosses, crosses, or can really invert and get it cracking. That's like the be- the better fullback, right? And Luke Shaw does neither. Like, he doesn't cross, he barely crosses it. You know, he's got a pretty good cross. I don't understand why he doesn't get, get around the outside. He, he's not inverting anymore. We started doing that last year. I think that's been canned for whatever reason. So there's like, like unless you're gonna go full time centre back, there's no point of bro. Like there's no point of him. All he's gonna do is get injured, and he's guaranteed to put in two La Howlers in a big game every season. I'm over. Man's been there for ten years. Like he does. How? How is Luke Shaw hitting ten years at the club, the 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 foundation that Sir Alex built? Yeah. Ever since I watched our Beckham documentary. It renewed my hate for all these men because then I, you know what? It's not like it became so far away because what Fergie retired in 2013, right? right. And even the last few years, we weren't as good, but we were just getting, getting a bite of heritage with Rudy and Van Persie and that, yeah. But going back and watching that documentary, listening to Key the Dead Man, see what type of time we were on, I can't take none of these youths. I don't like nobody that played today outside of Menu. Yeah, that nobody. Hoyland, Hoyland is a work in progress. So I'm, I'm, and that's not something include Hoyland because Hoyland's like 20 years old and he's yeah. doing his thing right now. Yeah, but yeah. everybody else, I don't like them. Yeah, I don't yeah. like them. Yeah. And you shouldn't have to like them that's as the players, like them. as human beings. Don't like them. Don't like these. Don't like these youths. They're not good, fam. I'm sorry. I'm sick of them. Go on, much. No, no. I was just saying, like, it's it's what you guys were saying earlier. These players have achieved nothing to deserve to be liked. Like they just a length of time doesn't mean anything. Do you get what I mean? Like it and the other thing is someone like Luke Shaw, one thing that people don't complain about enough is that Luke Shaw, like you guys have said, he's good on the ball. He's never technically lacking for me, Luke Shaw. But I've never seen a fullback less interested in being involved in the game. Like the fun of fullback I have 
as Disu will have seen, I play fullback as a man desperate to just be involved. I'm not too yeah. interested in the defensive side of the game, but you know, I've got. I've Mush got, is bombing up again. Oh, in the 95th minute, please, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to say that didn't happen, but it did. But the truth is, the fun in fullback is being part of possession, is being right. part of moves, is running beyond it. How often is Luke Shaw part of Man United's build up at the moment? He's not. He, he helps you build out of the box when the goal kick is taken short. That is literally his only contribution. So I don't know, man. Again, you guys, the number of testimonials at Man United. It's nuts, man. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just we're finally back in the positive in terms of goal difference. So we're plus one now. Congratulations, guys! Um, Twenty, twenty-five games. We've scored thirty-five and conceded thirty-four. We're three points behind Spurs. Both played twenty-five games. We're five points behind Villa. Both played twenty-five games. We are nine points behind City. They have a game in hand. We're 11 points behind Arsenal, played the same amount of games, and we are 13 points behind Liverpool, who've obviously played the same amount of games. So, honestly, the sound bites coming out of Enio suddenly are like, they want to work with Ten Hag, etc., etc. And I think the point you were making um, last week, Dissu was spot on in terms of new ownership coming in and not necessarily wanting to upset the apple car and wanting to give a manager a chance. And they're trying to make a lot of changes, right? They're bringing in a lot of people, it seems, in senior positions. And I, I think their hope is that if they surround Ten Hag with enough talent, he just ends up being successful. Um, I don't subscribe to that personally. He hasn't shown me that he has the kind of tactical acumen or man management to get the best even out of an underachieving group. And it's not about the team being amazing when you don't have amazing players. It's just about the decisions you make. And me as an amateur um, who just loves the sport, observing and being absolutely stunned on a week-by-week basis. Like, he comes into these post-game um, conferences and like, oh, the team weren't meant to be as deep as they were. Either you're <laughs> preaching it or you're allowing it to happen, like Disu and one of them NFL coaches said. Either you're teaching it or you're allowing it to happen. How Ten Hag we... talks post game, yeah. Like he had, he has no power on the <laughs> side of what happens in the game. Like he, like it's like it's beyond him. Once he picks the team, nothing else could change. You can't give him instructions on on the sideline. He can't make subs. He can't change tactical tweaks. Nothing. Everything that happens has nothing to do with him. It's never his fault. I've never heard him say I made a mistake or I could have done this better. Never ever. It's always somebody else's fault. And that is what I can't stand. And also the fact, yes, I don't think our players are good. You know how I feel about um, our standard of, standard of players. But one, he's a large part of that by picking some of the players, the size of the players he did. And two, they are still not to the level of where every single team we face, whether it be Manchester City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Luton or Newport, can dominate us. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, bro. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's rotten. It's rotten and it's hard to watch. And it's why even when we win, it doesn't fill me with any sort of joy. Because you've listened long enough again. Like, we're about process. Like, we're about process. If you repeat the same actions and you're doing the same things on the pitch, even if you're not necessarily getting the results, you do the good things for long enough, it will result in success, right? These results where if you actually replicate the game like 10 times and you, you don't win nine times and you manage to win the one time, they're not 
sustainable and they're not what builds long-term success. And that's really what we're trying to see from our teams. You, you'll know from the early days on the clock, you weren't necessarily winning every week, but you could see what you was trying to achieve, right? And you could see that if we brought in better players in this position, better players in that position, the team is going to improve. Like we saw with Martinez for a few weeks, the team looked a lot better, but they're still a lot broken about the way Ten Hag actually sets up the team, the way he makes use of his squad, the way certain players are allowed to play way below par and they play every minute of every single game. Um, this is our lives, man. This is this is our lives. But we speak about Klopp. We've got a Liverpool fan on, Klopp end, obviously. Um, only be logical to come to you guys. Another All Eyes on Me special mm. at 12.30 on a Saturday. I love it because when it's one of the ops and they play early and they lose, you're playing with house money. You're playing with house money all weekend. Um, but you proceeded to to dispatch of Brent, uh, Brentford. It would be good to get your thoughts going into the game. Obviously, we know how Klopp feels about those early games. But aside from that, how are you feeling? There's a little bit of an injury crisis now at Liverpool. Lovely finish from Darwin Nunes. Sell off the bench goal and assist. Like, where's your head at? Well, how are you feeling for this title race, man? Yeah, man. Um, I would say I'm very happy just zooming out and just thinking of the result because I think when it comes to banana skins and tough games, obviously it was it was quite well known that we haven't beaten Brentford at Brentford since they've been promoted. So it was one of those where historically we haven't been great, and that's you know they've only played against Klopp. Sometimes these records include other managers, so on and so forth. The other thing is I watched the Brentford game against City. They were very good, Brentford. You know, the, the, the actual number of chances they created, how they played, I was quite worried about it. And I guess with the title race, we've shown we can win without Salah. We, we've shown we can win without a player missing each time. I think this is the first time where a lot of players are missing at the same time. And, and I am worried about that. But going into the game, man, I mean, in terms of watching it, First 20 minutes, credit to Brentford, man. Sometimes we analyse who's out of position, who's doing things wrong. But there weren't too many occasions where Liverpool players were doing the wrong thing. I think one thing that Brentford got spot on was rather than trying to play and press Liverpool, they played deep and they basically played a lot of one-touch football and then switched the ball out or went long so that all the Liverpool players who were pressing Brentford had been dragged out of position. And there were a few amazing phases of play from Brentford in those first 15, 20 minutes where I just I just knew none of the Liverpool players had done anything wrong. It's just, if you're going to beat a press as good as Liverpool's, that's how good your football has to be. So, yeah, they, they had chances. One thing that was really interesting, and, and I know they talked about it on commentary a lot, which was, it was really fun, Not I guess not as a Liverpool fan, but watching a front two and a front two that were in sync and playing with each other. So what they would do is, rather than it being a front two that were quite far apart, they would pick one defender to pin, and then the two of them would split away from that centre-back, whether it was Kanate, whether it was Van Dijk. And then you're seeing flicks around the corner, you're seeing a ball over the top. So I thought both of them, Morpé and Tony, actually played really well. But Brentford suffered from the same thing, man, which was they didn't take the chances that they had. And then slowly Liverpool grew into it, you know, like um, I thought Darwin's movement as a number nine that was probably the best game he's had in terms of... I know we joke around saying that Darwin's movement is a strength, but I don't think it's been a strength in the number nine position. I think in the last month or two, his best games have come on the left wing, whereas this was his first game where I thought he looked quite accomplished in terms of what he wants to do in the number nine. Luis Diaz, for me, still running around doing nothing. You know, this is a man who... He can't, he can't, he can't take his fullback on. 
He literally cannot. What's going on with that? What's what's going on with him? Because remember, like I've I've had we're discussing one of the chats. You know, there's so many now. Him versus Doku, and I was like, I prefer Doku. Who hasn't, to be fair, who hasn't been lighting up trees uh, recently. But one thing that Diaz had when he came in initially, he was on it. He would take right. on his fullback. What what's happened to him? Do you know what? C- categorically, I can say that if Luis Diaz receives a football. And there is another footballer in the opposing team in front of him. He will not get past it. I can can guarantee it. He might be able to one-to it. He might drift into space and do something good in the same way he created the last goal. But he cannot beat his fullback. And I think it's gotten to him a bit because I can can see now that teams set up for what they're going to do after Luis Diaz loses the ball, which is a bit insulting, I guess, but, but that's where we are. Um, and it's just a relief now that Jota's in such good form. Obviously, it's a disaster that he's injured, but he's been carrying a big part of our goal scoring, which is huge. And even the assists, man, like I know a lot of people have talked about it already, but bro, to, for the ball to be that high in the air and for you to have the awareness of where Nunes is and still challenge for it, rubbish defending from Region, but we know what Region's about. Um, and then the finish, man. I'd love to know what you guys think. Is that the sign of a great finisher or is it the sign of a madman? Well, what do you guys think? A madman, for sure. <laughs> nah, that decision is insane. That decision to take the key part is insane. He's not a great finisher, so it could only be the decision-making of a madman. No doubt. <laughs> but it was a great, it was an amazing finish. Amazing finish. The choice, so, okay, bro. Bro. The choice is insane. The choice is insane, bro. It's like somebody crosses it for you at the back post, you can head it, but you you try to you like turn around and try to bicycle kick it instead. Like that's like kind of you made it. You know, I up my rent just to make yeah, my yeah. He made it intentionally more harder than it needs to be just to show. Like I'm not a wrestling fan, but I've got a few people I follow who like wax um like lyrical about like wrestling and like nostalgia, and they reference a period where like. John Cena really wanted to show everyone like he had a really cool bag of like different moves and tricks. And I feel like that's what Nunes did yesterday. Like people need to know that I've got something a bit more to me apart from resiliencia. And it was a it was a great finish, man. It was a great, it was a great I'm game. not gonna lie, yeah. That finish made me even more convinced that he's not good. Because <laughs> <laughs> Michael Owen's talking about that today, right? Michael Owen's no, like, but... why would you choose the, the type of chance that is a one in ten chance of getting it right? When you need to develop the chances that are five or six out of ten, and you need to do those properly, and everyone's blasting Michael Owen saying he's not respecting the quality, but you got to know who's talking about this, man. We're talking about a, a gunman here, bro. When I saw that, I said, "Yeah, this guy's never gonna make it." <laughs> you know, you know when he went through on goal. Gen- I, mean, I have to be honest about this. It was like when them, you know, them American penalties they tries to try to do in the nineties, where you run from the halfway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nasty business. From from when you received the ball, hand on heart, I had my head, hands on the back of my head, like a mischance had already happened. Like I was already <laughs> in the brace position, yeah, like ready to react to this. I, I cannot believe why and how he did that, but fair enough, man. That's Brilliant finish. Just Brilliant. Enjoy finish. it, you know. Yeah, the experience, bro. The experience. That's what Darwin Nunes. That's what Darwin Nunes is. Obviously, Curtis Jones has been having a really good season. Oh. He got injured too. I feel like McAllister's really grown um, in whatever kind of role you guys use him in. Canate's doing really well this season. Joe Gomez 
Um, well, I mean, with Jones, Ogun, Jones and Jota going down in one game is an absolute disaster. Right, I think. Right, like, right. When, when you're when you're looking at when I'm thinking about the final this this the coming Sunday, right? Jones, in terms of our shape, in terms of our structure, is a huge, huge, huge miss. And then you've got Jota, who is the only dependable finisher we've got outside of Salah, right? Like the the others might have a good game, might have a good moment. Jota was the one who was kind of bagging whenever he needed to. So I, I have no idea. I'm hearing Jota might be out for months. So it might be season. Well, for the stretcher, isn't it? So yeah, so never, never a good sign. And um, Jones just looks like a little ankle ligament sort of twist, right? So hopefully that. Like, a month, a month, a month or so. What do you think this means for? Because you are firmly in the title race. Every yeah. game that comes, I'm like, listen. If they don't win this, their watch is fake. If they don't win this, their watch is fake. <laughs> and you keep winning. So I've had to personally accept you're going to be here towards the later part of the season. How do you actually feel feel about that? Because earlier in the season, it felt like the way Klopp was talking, it was like, you know, this group has done really well to like accumulate the points they have, and it yeah, very yeah, much yeah. like they're ahead of where they need to be. But now we know it's his last season and you would obviously love to send him off with another title, second title. Um, how do you feel about the title race? Yeah, uh, the fake watch analogy is is interesting because I just think we've just shown we have really, really legit fake watches, man. That, that That's what we've got. We've got a million types of fake watches and all of them are seeming to work. Like all those things you guys were saying about Ten Hag, I mean, Klopp this season is coaching his ass off, man. And and what I mean by that is, you look at the number of different ways Liverpool have looked this season. Sometimes it's been McAllister at the six. Sometimes it's been Jones and Sabozlai. Sometimes it's been Harvey Elliott. We have the most goals scored from substitutes. We have the most goals from minutes 75 to 90 when you bring those players on. We have games we've won without Salah. We've had Conor Bradley playing as a conventional right-back when Trent has been tucking in and creating. We've had... Andrew Robertson unavailable for 15 games. Simicast has come in. We've seen Gomez have two or three great games against the likes of Saka. Like, man, how many different variations and solutions has he shown to these different problems, right? People are forgetting yesterday, Alisson wasn't there. You get what I mean? Like, every different way that Liverpool have had to come out of adversity, Klopp has managed to find a way. It's not been one player and that's enough of an excuse for Liverpool to drop points. I feel like Klopp has always put the team in the best position to get points, even when the situation goes against them. So I just expect that to continue, man. Like, for me, Klopp has just shown, right, you know, Jones is out. Okay, Mo, it's now your time to pick up the burden because we might have less control in midfield. Jota's out. Okay, Darwin, you're confident now. You need to start scoring. Gakpo, you came on. You did well pinning some centre-backs. Maybe you're going to come up front and Nunes is going to move to the left. So I just believe that Liverpool are just so flexible right now. There's always going to be a way of winning. And the way a lot of different teams, even you guys supporting United, you guys are resigned from the first minute if things aren't going well. This is probably how a performance is going to pan out. I just think if Liverpool are having a bad half or a bad 30 minutes or 40 minutes, Klopp will really change the team for us to look completely different. So, yeah, I just expect that level of adaptability to continue. Yeah, it must be such a reassuring feeling just knowing you have a manager on the, at the in the dugout that's going to give you the best opportunity to win, right? And it also Ooh. must be a sickening feeling knowing that he's leaving and you're actually going to be joining the... We all saw how I felt, right? So. Man, man, managerial, managerial rigmarole the rest of us are in. 
Um, yeah, Liverpool, it's good, man. It's a good side, good individuals, good young players. You always have enough, um, even in the tight games. I think Bar obviously, the Arsenal blamming. Um, like, even in the tight games, you seem to just find that edge to get you over over the top. So I think, yeah, you're, you're going to be right there all the way until the end of the season. Um, a result which you would have loved yesterday, want us to talk about um, Chelsea going up to, to Manchester uh, and leaving with a 1-1 draw against Manchester City. Listen, Chelsea haven't had a good season, but Poch has shown uh, uh, an ability to really do well against Pep Guardiola, from, even from his Espanol days. Um, I want to get you guys' thoughts on what we learned about either of those teams yesterday in that game. Oh, gosh. I, I think we learned a lot about Chelsea that game, of what Chelsea can be if the pieces are right and, mm. and if the plan is good. I think it wasn't a surprise, not trying to insult him at all, but Thiago Silva wasn't in the lineup and he's, he's been struggling a bit or maybe he just can't hack the workload at the moment. He's been behind a lot of the goals they've conceded. This, I think they've moved on from hoping that Reese James will always be in the team and building a game plan around him. Gusto did really well. Um, and I thought it was good management to get Conor Gallagher doing what he does best. This guy's a Duracell bunny. Put him on Rodri. Stop Rodri getting on the ball. Press, press, press. And he had enough quality when they broke to at least release certain players. It's, it's the best I've seen Enzo and Caicedo work. Enzo, you know, he struggled physically in a lot of games. This one, he was, he was a monster in terms of winning the ball, man. So... I, th I think it was a big credit to, to Poch in terms of getting every player to play the, the right kind of role in the right kind of way. Fair. Do you think it's one of those scenarios as well, you know, when a team kind of much maligned and things aren't necessarily going well, they tend to, the bigger teams anyway, rise for the bigger games against the people who they feel is their level. Obviously, Raheem grabbed the goal. He, he started the season well, but it's kind of, um, gone on the ball again. Uh, Cole Palmer's obviously had a really good season. His first season is like a, a start a week in, week out. You mentioned Enzo. I thought Malagusto was really good as well. Um, so, yeah. What are your what are your thoughts on that? And is it potentially a springboard? Because I think he went a bit too defensive with the substitutions he made at the end. But surely the conversation with the team afterwards is like, listen, you can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the best team in the country for 60, 70 min minutes. And if not for some execution and maybe a couple of mistakes on my end, we, we win that game, you know? Um, so I, 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 it's interesting because obviously the, the thing we label at Chelsea is about how they spent a billion to be mid-table and their players. and their, But I genuinely believe they actually have a good crop yeah. of footballers. I really do. A hundred percent. Disu, I mean, Disu watches Chelsea a lot, right? So he, he always kind of... Them three PMs, Disu's like Chelsea correspondent, right? So... And it's often when you watch Chelsea as well, then they don't look bad. Accomplished players in possession, a lot of missed chances, but the chance creation is quite repetitive. I, I actually think with Chelsea, the Liverpool battering was, the, it was almost a turn for the positive because it was like, right, we've bounced to our lowest point. And then since then, I think they've been really good. Went to Villa Park away, played really well. Went to the Etihad, played really well. I just think Chelsea are reaching a place now where the lineup is quite consistent. And that thing you said about, yeah, some of the pieces aren't perfect yet. I don't think Chilwell's great, to be honest. I think some of those can be improved. But, you know, Disassi and Colwell yesterday, 
looked so in sync, young players. That's something to build on, right? And I think if Poch keeps playing players that are in their early 20s, people are going to give him that leeway of saying, oh, this is a project. The problem is, is when you're just using established players and they're underperforming, people are going to expect results now. So I think Poch is buying time and, and he's doing well with it. Agreed, agreed. Um, let's talk about the other team, uh, the blue team in, in Manchester, who everyone feels is just basically going through the motions and they will be the champion. Um, anything to take away from that? I think people were expecting Chelsea to get blamed, especially when Pep does a pre-game. Oh, Chelsea are so good, yes. man. <laughs> quality. Um, what, what, what are um, the thoughts on how they did yesterday? Were they just unlucky because Haaland had a number of really good chances? Um, what are your thoughts on City? If, if you're, I would say, if you're rivals, you're literally rivals, you're watching every game they play, hoping yeah, they yeah. step up. What were your thoughts on City yesterday? Oh, it's so hard to analyse because goals change games and goals change how you play for the rest of the game. So certain chances when they're missed, a 1-0 or a 0-0 becomes a 4-0 if certain chances go in. And City are very much like that, where they're like the craziest multiplier effect, where if they get one breakthrough, all hell breaks loose and, and you know, things happen. I, th I think City aren't very entertaining to watch. They are just so accomplished. They know what they're doing and they just repeat their way towards those wins where eventually things will go right. And I think this was one of the rare games where plan A didn't work. I think Pep once did an interview talking about, I only have a plan A because my plan A works 99.3% of the time or something like that. I remember him saying that. And you can't blame him. Do you get what I mean for persisting? It might be nasty to watch. I'm, I'm sure you, Mariah, were, were observing that Kevin De Bruyne cross-spam fest. I'd, I'd love to know your thoughts on, on the approach from Kevin De Bruyne. I think he just, he that's his go-to when... He runs out of options and nothing's going on. And you know what? Fair enough, man. He's one of the best crossers we've probably seen in the Premier League. Him, Trent, David Beckham. Um, I'm trying to think, am I forgetting anybody else? Stephen Gerrard had some really good whips from that side of the pitch as mm -hmm. well. But sometimes, if nothing else is going on, F it, man. <laughs> right, right middle wing, get to spamming. Get to spamming. <laughs> and I love it. As intricate, as precise as pet football is, Sometimes that's all, all we got, man. That's that's all we've got. But when you have KDB doing that, that's always a good indication that City is struggling. Because yeah, he's yeah, yeah. himself from that kind of central area where he loves to pick it up, where he loves to drive, where he loves to play passes through the line. And he goes wide because he needs space. And he needs an opportunity to be able to see. And he needs an opportunity to be able to play some dangerous passes in. It doesn't happen that often nowadays, I don't think. Um but yeah, once in a while he'll serve up one of those stinkers, man. I think again, it's gonna be hard. It's it's gonna be hard for anyone to to stop City. There's 13 games left now. Um, I don't think we'd be surprised. Do you think anything? What do you think can derail them? If anything, I think you have to be you and Arsenal will have to aim to be perfect because yeah. have you got to? Do you still have to play them between now and the end of the season? At Anfield, yeah. Okay, so you've got an opportunity to beat beat them yourselves. Do Arsenal still have to play them? Arsenal go to the Etihad. Okay, so you guys have an opportunity to play them directly, but the assumption is, aside from those games, it's three points, three points. Three yeah, points. yeah, yeah. So you just have to match their result every single week. That's it. Match their result, and then when they come to Anfield, you can't draw. You have to win. 
because mm. the game in hand that they have, if they win that um, game in hand, oh, they don't go top anymore, actually. They don't. So, yeah. They're a point behind. Just match them. That's all you have to do. Between now, all you have to do, by the way. Easily said. <laughs> Between now and the end of the season, you just have to match them. Uh, and we 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 know that's um, 13 games. I don't think we'd be surprised if they reeled off 10 wins. Did, so you, did you spot anything tactically, though? Like, you know how... Chelsea were breaking on them. That counter, especially first half, was was cash money, right? And and the start of the second. What do you think? You spotted any holes in City, or do you think? I think it's just how they set up. I feel like they set up like he had absolutely no respect for Pochettino because it was like Rodri as a lone six, and then he kind of had like Alvarez and um, KDB in the middle, and KDB is virtually a right winger slash second striker. Foden was out right, obviously Doku was out left, and then he had Alvarez who was just running around doing absolutely nothing. So I think that enabled Chelsea to have a bit of composure in the middle because it's not the usual Bernardo. For example, if Bernardo is there, one, the ball retention area is going to be good, and two, Bernardo is like counter-pressing and just getting in around the ball, winning the second balls, is a lot better than KDB and Alvarez. So I think that enabled Chelsea in the middle areas where if they punched it into like uh, Palmer or Enzo or Gallagher, they were able to turn, boom, knock it round of sides, and they'll get it in down down the City flanks. Whether it be Sterling, whether it be uh, Jackson, whether it be Chilwell or Gusto, they were able to get in behind City at will. And I think it was more likely that it was going to be two 0 than one one before City got the equaliser. Until Poch decided to um, take off Palmer and bring on Nate Chabala, and I think that kind of surrendered a lot of possession. And territory, and and Sterling then, as well. Yeah, and Sterling as well. But Sterling was more of a lack for lack one because he put on in yeah, Cuckoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but like when you take off Palmer for Traveller, you're just kind of sacrificing. Uh, at that point, in my opinion, their best player in terms of what he was doing, his composure, the ball, getting out of tight areas, playing forward passes, getting people in behind um, for another defender. And on another day, Harlan probably scores two and they win the game. But I do agree, like they just, I'm not going to lie. Like that KD, that what KDB did was kind of nasty. He kind of just started just spamming the ball. He couldn't really get it cracking in the middle. And I just watch after I watch that game and I'm watching a lot of football recently. I don't know. I just feel like Arsenal are the better, are the best team in the country. I feel like they're the they're big, they're the biggest, they're the biggest team, they're the strongest team, they're the fastest team, and they just seem to have a lot more gal. But the thing with Arsenal is they don't have a consistent person to tuck. Whereas a City and Liverpool, what they both got going in their favour, one experience. And two, their best players, so City's is um, De Bruyne and Haaland, and obviously Liverpool's is Salah and Trent. You have a world-class elite goal scorer and a world-class elite chance creator. And those guys consistently will win you games no matter what's going on or win you points no matter what's going on most of the time. And I think that is what might undo Arsenal on the title running. But in terms of watching them as a football team, like I don't think if Chelsea went away to the Emirates, that's happening to them. I, just, I think they just get punched up. So, yeah, City, City just kind of looked. City kind of looked old yesterday to me. They kind of look old. They 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 just got dynamic. Like who's dynamic playing for Man City yesterday? Yeah. Uh, I had a Doku. Uh, Doku was a Doku. Doku was in Belmarsh because right. of Gusto. Yeah, Doku's meant to be, but then you look at the rest of the field. Rodri, De Bruyne is in the open field. Alvarez isn't particularly. That's why are they playing Alvarez in the middle and not Foden. I don't know. It's quite damning, isn't it? I, I, it just didn't make... Even in the context of the game, it just didn't make sense. Right. It, it just didn't make sense, but 
don't know. I, I know Pep's probably forgotten more about football than I ever know, but I just don't really understand that decision. And yeah, I feel like if, if City can hang on um, to their, you know, clutch running on and still and steal this title, I think they do need a lot of surgery in the summer because mm-hmm. they, their team is aging now. Yeah. A kanji in the middle gimmick was just not doing anything yesterday. Like it just it, it's it's one of those where the difference between him and Bernardo being on the pitch is just too big, man, for even City to be able to bridge. Like yeah, and I think uh, yeah, and I think even with the kanji thing, I think with stones in the middle instead of a kanji. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It feels like you've got at least you've got two midfielders in there along like, alongside Roger. Yesterday, right. it just kind of felt like Rodri was in there on his own, really. Mm. And then um, Gallagher, Palmer, and, and Enzo were able to get like a lot of joy on the ball. And I think with uh, with more quality and better decision making, Chelsea could have been two or three nil up. Do you get what I'm saying? But again, on another day, Harlem probably touched two of those chances and City win. So it's quite difficult to analyze that game as much said, it's because one, most teams don't have most teams that Chelsea are going to play don't have the quality of players that Chelsea have in the midfield area to be able to turn City that consistently. Two, I don't think Pep's going to kind of play that way again. Like, it was, it was a bit adventurous. He basically had four four forwards on the pitch. And three, how often is Harlem going to have, like, three or four chances and, and score none? It's not, it's not a consistent thing you could bag it out on. So, yeah, hold we'll, we'll see. Hold tight the next team that City play, man, because Harlem's bagging, like, four. Genuinely. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> Brentford at home. So, like I said... Uh, Liverpool top of the table, twenty-five uh, games played with fifty-seven points. So there's thirteen more games to play. So there's thirty-nine more points to be earned. So that's it. So the most points they can get is ninety-six points. Um, what? How many points wins the title this season? Four. I think eighty-eight. Eight. Sorry, eighty-eight is where everyone's going to be. I think, and I think whoever breaks the ninety wins it. Yeah. Okay. And how confident are you feeling? Or is it too still too early? Oh, confidence and logic are very far apart right now. I think emo- right. emotionally, yeah. I'm I'm like so badly manifesting this clock walking off into the sunset as a hero thing. Right, right. I'm just not gonna be able to provide any logical analysis of this. I just I'm praying that's it. I have to that's- be honest about it. No, no, I, 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 I appreciate. It. I think, um, um, yeah, I think that it would be a beautiful send off for him. I think I'm not really trying to see Pep win four in a row either. Um, yeah. And obviously, decisions between you and Arsenal, two teams, fan bases that I absolutely detest. I can't see the I can't see the touchy Gunas articles if there's a title. Well, I can't so the, the Arsenal fans are the, they are the most arrogant. They literally are the most arrogant and talk like they're like God's gift to football. And <laughs> I think them winning, they would ride this title for like 30 years. They would I mean, ride... They've ridden the last one for 20, so... Right, yeah. right. They ride this title for 30 years. Liverpool, a bit more accustomed to it now because you won one and you've been a top side for the last five years or so. Um, but I've got no horse in this race, man. I really haven't. So whatever happens, happens as far as I'm concerned, man. You're still, you're still hoping for that Villa title somehow. Right, Una Emery. Good evening. <laughs> good, e- good evening. Uh, cool. Let's let's get to our, our weekly awards and then we'll finish up with listeners' questions. We have quite a few. Um, first weekly award is um, Star of the Weekend. I'll start with you, Mush. 
Um, who, who are you giving your, your star of the weekend to? Uh, I'm giving my star of the weekend to Martin Odegaard. Okay. I think that was captain playing like he wants his team to be in a title race. performance. Okay. Yeah, yeah, stepped up, man. So, yeah, Martin Odegaard for me. Cool. Uh, Disu, who's your star of the weekend? Uh, my star of the weekend is um, Malu Gusto. Okay. Uh, and I'll make my star of the weekend Rasmus Hoyland, I think. After going, I think it was like, what, 14 games or so without getting a goal in the league. He's now one in three. Um, you can obviously see the confidence in the young man. He's competing. He left it all out there on the pitch. And I'm just really happy for him. I think if he had been lucky at the start and the goal that was ruled out against Brighton... Um, had been given, or if we'd actually been a team that could create more than half a chance in 90 minutes, he'd probably have even more goals. But now he's seen the ball. And it's funny because he scored obviously quite a few in the Champions League, but the obsession was over the league. But now he's seen the ball hit the back of the net. He's a way more useful player for us. Uh, and I'm interested in seeing how he improves going going forward. Obviously, what I saw kind of last 20 minutes or so, it was, it'd be nice to have like a, another striker to bring on. Like he looked knackered, his his jersey was splattered with mud. But you guys are gonna rinse him, man. He's, 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 it's one game a week, man. Just leave it out there for ninety minutes every week. Man. <laughs> back in the cryo right. chamber, exactly. Back in the cryo chamber. So yeah, he's he's my star of the week. Um, surveillance. Who have you guys got under surveillance? We'll start with you this time, this week. Ooh, who have I got under surveillance? Ah, that's a good one, you know. Oh. Oh, that is a good one. I think I'm going to say Julian Alvarez. Okay. Yeah, I'm watching you, brother. That's a good one. Uh, Mush, who have you got under surveillance? Yeah. I'm trying to just, just take a quick peek at this table just to make sure. You take a quick peek. While you're taking a quick peek, I'm going to say Jeremy Doku. Obviously, he's come in. Super dynamic. Loves to take a player on one-on-one. And we were all waxing really lyrical about the added dimension that he brings to City and, you know, replacing Jack Grealish and that him being exactly what they need. Um, the performances in the last few months haven't matched. I don't really have much of a fear that he will get back on track. But for now, I'm watching you, brother. Yeah, I think my one, obviously, it's been a bit City heavy. I'm going to move to uh, a protein-infused tap-in toes for, for this <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go for surprised I'm saying this considering how we started the season, but Eves Basuma, man, things things aren't you know, it's it's not as protective as it once was. A lot of when I think back throughout the season, a lot of stupid, stupid mistakes as well. You think of yep. the loose and red and things like that, like yeah, wicked, wicked carrier the ball, man. After Neymar comps, I'm watching his, but yeah, <laughs> the actual job of a DM. Questions, questions are slowly being asked. You're not getting that, yeah? Fair enough, man. Um, and Saudi bound. This one. It can't be Casemiro every week, man. Come on. You know, Come on, man. You know what time it is, man. It literally you know what? He literally is putting Saudi performances in each week. You want us to lie? What, what, what do you want? You want us to lie on this podcast? That's, that's how people say, no, you can't, you can't say that Michael Jordan's MVP. Yes, I can, bro. You <laughs> average 38 points. Saudi bound Casimiro, the one and only. Cool. Um, who's your Saudi bound, Mush? Uh, Saudi bound. 
I love this question so much because there's so many factors you've got to think about. You've got to think about BMI. You've got to think about performances. You've got to think about all sorts, man. Um, Saudi man, I think um, you think of yours. You think of yours. I'm trying to think of something different. For me, it has to be Casemiro. I, I can't watch <laughs> those 90 minutes week on week. You can't expect me to come on here and lie, like. Saudi bound, that's Casemiro, no doubt about it. Yeah, okay. If we're doing Saudi, I'm just going to have to add to this. Luke Shaw, man, them shawamas are going to be entering your system soon, man. You, you can't get away with these. No Premier League, other Premier League footballer is covering six kilometres per game like Luke Shaw, man. <laughs> yeah, but f- fair enough. I can't, I can't, I can't blame you. Uh, let's whiz through these listeners' questions. We've got quite a few. All right, I'll start at the top. All right, first one is from Is That Scully Arsenal Fan. If Declan Rice is ruining how Arsenal move the ball, why have they scored 21 goals in five games? Okay, let me take this one here. These lot love to rewrite history. So these are some of my New Year's resolutions for football fans. One, to not lie because there's been five results and it's gone your way. And two, comprehension of the English language, right? So number one, people said, and it's not just um, Touchdown Frackers rival fans, it's also Arsenal fans as well. We've also heard it on podcasts. And we also remember Arsenal in the first third of the season, the first 25% of the season, very low on all the underlying metrics with regards to chance creation, which was unusual for them in comparison to last year. They were moving the ball a lot slower. That happens when, obviously, Sichenko was injured in the first part of the season, so they didn't have him inverting. Partey isn't there anymore for whatever reason, and if Shaka, right? So their replacements aren't as good in that first phase. Declaras is a relatively safe player. He doesn't, he can't play too touch to the same speed that Partey can in the congested areas, and he routinely turns down forward vertical passes. Not saying he can't do it, but he turns down quite a few. Right? He's more of a outside zone, like passing it to the wide players. Right? So if you see Declaras passing chart, it looks like a bunch of arrows. Right? Cool. So that was slowing down how Arsenal were playing. Hence, Wales, a lot of complaints. Oh, what's going on with our team? What's going on with our team? Then, around October, November, I can't quite remember, uh, Arteta made a tactical tweak and brought Odegaard deeper. Because before, he put uh, pushed Odegaard forward and Odegaard was taking a lot more shots. That's what he ended up getting, 14 goals last year. He was, like, very, very good at that. He brought Odegaard deeper and that started to change what Arsenal were doing. Right? Arsenal have... They've, they've started scoring more goals now, but they're creating bare chances when it was last season. They went away to Villa, created a gazillion chances, should have won that game. There were three other games where they created loads of chances and they just didn't, didn't get the result or the dominating victory as they should have. I think Wolves, they won 2-0 or something, where they created a million chances. Now their attackers, namely Saka, is starting to take their chances and other players, the results start, the dominating victories are starting to come. But at Tassar Frackers, we aren't a results-based entity. We look at the process. And that's the change in Arsenal's play. And credit to Arteta for being a great coach and changing that dynamic. So it serves you to see what your coach has done and recognise the weakness of said player. Hence why Liverpool game, they brought in Jorginho as well, right? It's, so it's not like Declan Rice has been a complete enough to hindrance. He's been a good player. Right. But he has certain level, he has certain strengths and certain deficiencies. And also I've marked some of them deficiencies in terms of build-up play with the introduction of Odegaard in a deeper phase. It's very simple. If also, you watch also, why is Declan Rice 
even being linked to your attackers finally scoring goals and creating. No, because no, because people because people were trying to work out why Arsenal weren't creating as many chances as before, right? Um, and I think um, some of it was I think listening to um, Leroy, he was like the attackers are a bit wider than they usually were before. He said the ball isn't getting to them as quickly as it was before, uh, whereas they were able to like you know like go straight at the full-backs, but they don't, didn't quite have that as much. And that's also due to the level of ball circulation, and Declan Rice is a part of that. Like, he literally is a part of that. But, um, yeah, when you start to win games, you start to rewrite history. So we'll see how things going forward. Fair. Uh, next one is from it's IK, shout him out. He's a Mugger listener too. How refreshing is it to see United linked to competent execs for once? No more jobs for boys who aren't qualified. United paid money for Sabitzer and Amrabat to join on loan. Shouldn't the squad minutes have gone to emerging academy players? Very United-focused, I know. So, um, two questions there. I think, yeah, I think um, what it shows us is how little the Glazers' previous ownership, and I mean, they still own 75% of the club, but um, cared about the footballing operations. Manchester United is such a, a, a monolith, such a machine that regardless of how well the team did on the pitch, we're still churning out money. Um so they were happy to just take their dividends every single year and for the people actually running the football operations to run it into to the ground because they'd always be able to take out the money that they wanted to take out every single year. Um, we've got a new uh, regime come in and they know that if you're able to get Manchester United back to just competing, like, I, I don't think we're going to ever be able to dominate the way we did under Sir Alex Ferguson. There's too many good teams with good managers who also have money, but having Manchester United up there competed for the biggest trophies at home and on the on the continent, they'll be held as heroes, you know? Uh, so Jim Radcliffe has achieved a great amount of success in his uh, professional corporate life, and he wants to take on uh, the world of professional sports. So he looks like he's assembling a team of Avengers, best in the business, um, but time will tell, man. Like, there have been so many false dawns, so many. The suns, the, sun, the suns will shine on us again, brothers, that um, I'm just going to wait and, and see exactly what happens. But the names we're being linked to, the people that we know who work in, in, the, in the game, um, are really impressed. So we'll see the amount of them that get done. Um, obviously, it's not just at the coaching level. It's also bringing in the correct players. It's also the actual quality of the establishment. I don't think anything Cristiano Ronaldo necessarily said was untrue. Obviously, it came from a selfish perspective, but I think he knows what he knows what good looks like, and he knows what best in class looks like. You know, he was at Real Madrid um, for uh, a decade almost, and he was at Juventus after Real Madrid. So we'll see. Um, and you need to up that hygiene rating at, at the club restaurant, man. You yeah, that was that one star first, bro. That was that, that was a corporate event. Yeah, let's let's let's, <laughs> let's blame the boys on that. Um, and then obviously the second one about Sabitz and Amrabat. Amrabat's just running around. He's just here running around. Um, Put me there. Put me there. Same thing, man. <laughs> he's just there we pray to the same God. We worship the same thing. <laughs> like, he can't be worse than Casemiro. So I'd be interested to see what he'd do just because he has more more legs than Casemiro. And we don't need our deepest midfielder to be amazing on the ball. We just need him to be able to receive the ball on the half turn and be able to consistently progress the ball to players further up the pitch. And then secondly, not give away, not give away free kicks, not let players run off him or beat him for skill and then leave defenders exposed one-on-one. So if we can even do that to a 6.5 out of 10, that's fine. That's an improvement on what we have. So I definitely think he should get a run. I think 
we've wasted a lot of money. We've wasted a lot of money in those midfield areas. We've kept players around who should be gone. What's going on with Mason Mount? Uh, injuries, injuries. Like, no way. Yeah, yeah, he's been injured quite a bit. So obviously, I, I, at this point, I love to see him ahead of Bruno Fernandez, just to see what he can. He can't be worse. He literally can't be worse. So oh, we've had I'm a lot of story for you. <laughs> all we've, all we've really got um, is Menu. He's been class. He, he exudes quality, composure on the ball, combat. Where's, where's the angry one? Oh, that's it. Who's the angry one? Hannibal Medry with the angry one. We loaned him to Sevilla. Um, yeah, oh. we, yeah, we we loaned him to Sevilla. His his contract I think is expiring uh, next season, and he's not looking to sign a new contract. So the idea is actually getting him somewhere where he can actually play, get some minutes. Um, but at the minute, he's yeah only getting like trust minutes. So that hasn't necessarily gone as well as one would hope so far. Um, but I definitely think that some of these academy lads, not Scott McTominay, um, could be doing a lot better job than the, the bigger name players. And this is where Ten Hag is, is lacking, not making... I don't even think they're big decisions. I just think it's quite simply, do you believe in process? You talk so much about process, but the decisions you make are not process-driven. So, yeah. Or you can really do as a fan is just watch and pull your hair out, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> next question is Cam Tanner 25 how do United keep getting away with this? <laughs> Are they, though? Because you won, but at what cost? That's what all I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we are getting away with it, to be honest with you. Last season, we got away with it. Last season, a few of the like regular teams who would be doing better weren't. So then we were able to get third relatively comfortably, even though I think we played two, three more games, Liverpool would have probably caught us. Um, but I don't think we're getting away with it because the same manager continues in the role a manager who's not good enough to actually compete with the big boys in the league. So it's papering over the cracks, man. So if I was an opposition fan, every time Ten Hag gets a good result, I'd actually be happy. Like, I'd actually be happy. They're keeping... To... It was like, think back to the Oli days when Oli would win. Yeah, you've got a manager who's clearly not fit for purpose and you're not getting rid of him. I'd feel exactly the same way when I see Ten Hag's teams pull out a result, you know? You're going toe-to-toe with Luton. It's absolutely shocking, mate. Cool. <laughs> Next one, Babs98. Um, who are some of your favourite attackers in the mould of scorer of great goals, but not a great goal scorer? Ooh, ooh that's a good question. Berbatov? Berbatov, Berbatov. I, like. I have a bit of a, a mid-table classic here, but Go I recall him always scoring great goals. James Morrison. James Morrison used to always score bangers whenever he used to actually get a goal. Gira was the same as well. Um... Who else? Score of great goals. Yeah, but not I'm trying to think of the guy who used to play for Bolton and Portsmouth if he was left footed. Is it Matt Matty Taylor? Oh Matty Taylor, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Screamers, yeah. man. Yeah, um, Matt Taylor, um the I think that had a the odd banger in his uh, what was what jo- was John Onarisa? John Onarisa No Alan Smith's leg, man. Drivers. Yeah, bro <laughs> Alan Smith's leg. Thomas Hitzelsperger, Laurent Robert. Who played for United, I mean, played for Spurs, and their disallowed, disallowed goal where the ball went over the line against United. Oh, uh, Nuno Mendes or something. He's, yeah, he's a, a centre before that. Pedro Mendes, that was it. Was Pedro Mendes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Pedro Mendes, screamers, man, for days. Scorer of great goals, but not a great goal scorer. That's mm. it. Laurent Robert. Dennis Bergkamp, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
love, I love that one, bro. I love that one. That, that was a good little one. Um, I'm trying to think who else, who else, who else. Who else? Who else? Great goals, but not a great goal scorer. Coutinho, Coutinho, always. Yeah, yeah, he always scored great goals. Whenever he scored, he was, um, yeah, he, whenever he scored, they were tended to be banger. Um, who else? Trying to think of we any we had this year. Nani, 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 Nani. If Nani scored, Nani. it was special. Yeah, yeah, Nani. It was either a left foot, cut inside left foot, cut inside right foot, or he dinked in the keeper. Dink, Nothing yeah, else. Yeah. Nani, Nothing Giroud, else. Giroud has a quality, quality goal. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. He has yes. enough goals, right, to be a good goal scorer with Giroud. Nah, uh, no, nah, not for me, man. Not for me, brother. Not for me, uh, that's a great, that's a great question. You guys remember my hey, wait, wait, wait. We missed a very easy one. Who? Kevin De Bruyne. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah of course. Yeah. Yeah. Almost all of his goals are almost all of his goals are bangers. What are we talking about? Yeah, Kevin De Bruyne. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Gerrard. And Gerrard as Gerard. well. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. 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 Yeah. I'm thinking of those midfielders who kind of hang around in that ten area. Um, Riyad Mahrez. Score uh, of mm-hmm. goal, he scored. Goal. I think he. I think he scored. I think he scored enough for his position. Do you? What about Eden? Yeah, Hazard? just above. Uh, maybe Hazard might be one. Actually, to be fair, yeah, because yeah, Hazard's goals was like either I've I've jinked past three man or I'm just bended it far corner. Yeah, yeah, fair, yeah. Fair. That's a good question. Next one is Seba MRXZ. How did the final feel about the proposed trial of Simbin style blue cards in lower leagues? We've also seen a lot of changes to football in the past six or seven years. VAR, no away goals, five subs, CL, World Cup formats. Is this a positive or too much meddling? I think it's good. I think they should always be trying to look at um, rule changes or certain things or certain points of emphasis, like the added time stuff to make the game better. And mm. I think, and I do like the element of a sim bin because like, let's take it to like back to 2022 or 2021. Um, Saka steaming down the right sideline and Chiellini with the most racist drag back I've ever seen. Yeah, he takes, of course, you're gonna take a yellow card all day, but like, like what that is stopping is way greater than what a yellow card can stop. So it's not like a, a guaranteed goal, but the chance of is gonna lead to a high XG moment. And we saw like, we see the City with Fernandinho and Rodri now, the masters of such activity. So I think, I actually quite like that idea, but what I wanna know is, what if you get a yellow card and a blue card? Like what happens next? Or what if you get two blue cards in the game? You know what I'm saying? Like it'll be interesting to see how they balance that out if they do do it. But I'm interested in that. Um, have have they got criteria in for like what subjects are a blue card versus a yellow? Uh, they probably do, but I haven't read much about it. I actually do do some digging over across the week. map, tweet about it from the account. But yeah, I'm with you, Jisoo. I think the game has evolved so much over the years, and I think. We should always be open to things that potentially make it better. The question I always ask is, what do we lose if teams don't go down to 10 men anymore, for example? Does, is it a better spectacle when one team has 10 men and the other has 11 men? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's for me, it's we constantly want to be as entertained as we possibly can, right? We want VAR was brought in to ensure better quality decisions. Very questionable how that's used. No away goals because over the years, the difference between teams playing away from home and at home in Europe um, has been like mitigated by the quality of travel, etc, etc. Uh, five subs because of how intense 
football is nowadays, the amount of games the professionals have to play, etc., etc. So I think, yeah, let's see how it works in the lower leagues. And rather than just being like, oh, what, they're doing too much stuff. It's like, what do you preserve by getting rid of um, there necessarily being like that, that straight red? And obviously some things will still be like a straight red, like the tackle Holgate did earlier today. Um, but those ones that are a bit more greyish area, maybe just cool off for a bit, you know? Cool off your team has to t- t- tactically manage a period of the game with less... And then we learn a bit more about our managers, don't we? Um, cool. Uh, nice one. Next one from the kitchen. I, I, I was going to say... Yeah, go on. Sorry, Mariah. The, the only thing I was going to say was the only place where I don't like the changes in football are the ones where they're trying to fit as many teams as possible into competitions and just trying to draw revenue from that. And where I don't like that is the Euros, Euro 2016 was a terrible tournament to watch because third place also through even AFCON this year, like Ivory Coast getting battered in those group stages, but still going through because that third place team, I think that comes to the detriment of the tournament because if you look at the World Cup, I think that was the best final day of group games for each of those rounds ever because every group second place was up for grabs and second third and fourth were all in it and it almost felt like third place means almost everyone goes through and I, and I don't really like that so you need to keep tournaments having novelty and jeopardy to to make it feel like a win or loss situation yeah mean, means more and there's a question for you Jesse but I think you've answered this as so miraculous Miri can Disu expand on his thoughts behind the tweet he sent yesterday and I quote I actually think Arsenal are better than City now, but can they finish? Can Haaland's goals drag them to the title? I think you, you answered that earlier in the in the pod. I don't know if you have anything else to add there, Disu. Uh, no, no, no. I think I'll answer that still. Cool. Nice one. Uh, another question from Afo Afa Afs. Where does Bruno Fernandes rank in all-time Premier League midfielders? Top 100? Was yeah. it a yes on the Student of the Week award? Well, Student of the Week award, that will come in next week. That is a good suggestion. Um, where does Bruno rank in all-time Premier League midfielders? Uh, probably... Somewhere in the lower bit of the top 100. I don't know, man. Bottom quartile of Miss Fuller's ever played against. <laughs> um, last few questions. Wizard Shy, since we witnessed that abomination at Kenilworth Road, what's panel's criteria and traits for top midfielders at very elite level? In my opinion, a top midfielder able to disrupt progress and control. I think. Is it midfield or midfielder? Midfields. Okay, midfielder. Mid- yeah, so a top midfielder is able to disrupt, progress, and control. I think I think that's a good way of breaking it down. To be honest, disrupts. Like obviously, you want to be able to disrupt what the other team is doing. Control, I think, is probably the most important part because you might not do as much disruption if you're controlling, and you want to be able to progress the game. And I think that can take various forms. So if you look at Liverpool's midfield of Ronaldo, Fernando, mm. Fabinho and Henderson, they're not the I think I think which are pretty good, very good technically, but mm. they're not like what you would think in terms of progression. But all those players, they'll get the ball and they'll pass it forward. They will right. pass the ball forward, they will get it out wide, they'll move quick, but they were very good disruptors. They covered all the wide areas and covered every blade of grass, they'll win the ball back. But again, they were brave. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be like Busquets, Alonso, Javi. And then we see the Chelsea midfield of Kovacic, Kante, and Jorginho, again, they're able to control, they're able to disrupt, they're able to progress. So I quite like that. I think in terms of attributes, I think they have to be able to cover ground and they have to be comfortable being able to play fast, whether it be one touch, two touch, three touch, under pressure, with time and space. 
and consistently make good decisions and be able to kind of change up the tempo. And I think, um, as you can see at Kenilworth Road, that was very much lacking for the Manchester United Reds. Yeah. Barkley had them boys on the string, man. Um, bait face, Nate. It's Potch a top coach. Not for me, man. Nah, he's my dad. Yeah, the time I really wanted him, the time I really rated him right after the Spurs stretch, but I think he struggled. Yeah, same, same. I, was, I really wanted him instead of Oli. Yeah, I think. What, what makes him not a top coach? I think he struggles with managing the bigger personalities. I think he's too um, defensive and reactive. Like, I just see how he's used Chelsea's players. And for a large proportion of the season, he's used players in the wrong positions, I think. He's gone too heavy on having defensive players on the pitch. Um, and I think for somebody who can start a game off tactically correct, when he doesn't get it right, he doesn't often solve the problems that he's mm -hmm. created. Like, I think that's a big part of being when we call managers like a tactician. It's observing a game and saying, okay, this is where the issue is. It may not even need to be a substitution. It may just simply be moving a player 10 yards to the right or a certain position to receive it or instructing the keeper of where to pass it out to. So, yeah, I think he obviously, at PSG, it was, it was tough. Um, but we saw the, the, the manager after him do well until Mbappe threw a strop. Um, but Chelsea, he, he has a lot of players, man, and they should not be languishing in mid-table, in my, in my opinion. Like, you can say they don't have a top-class attacker, but they've got quality, man, and they've got players who potentially can be good good players in this league, so expected more. Um, and final question, what is the panel's view on the Saka versus Foden debate from Januga95? Oh, um, I'm more of a fan of Foden. I think Foden is a more talented and gifted footballer, I think, quite significantly. But in terms of, like, in the last few years, I think Saka has outperformed him, partly because he literally plays every single week and he's, like, a key man. And I think Foden's kind of, like, put out wide. And I don't really think he's a wide player. I don't care how many games he plays there. I think he's a player that plays in the middle. And I think Saka has performed at a higher level consistently. But I think this season, I think Foden's been really good in the games that I've been watching him, especially in the absence of Kevin De Bruyne. But I understand why people will ride with Saka, but I just think Foden is a considerably more gifted footballer. And I think he's like, he's got potential with that type of genius type player. So that's why I, I prefer um, Foden. I'm, I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to go Saka. And I think maybe it's a product of the kind of wingers I've come to love at Liverpool, which is it takes a lot for you to be depended on. It takes a lot for you to get things wrong and still want to persist and continue. And it takes a lot for your team's fortunes to be placed on your shoulders. And I think Phil Foden, not necessarily his fault because he's at a top team, but he does not play with the level of dependency and pressure that Barry Saka plays on. And I think Foden, I agree with Disu, he has a really high natural talent level and elegance. And I think what we've seen with Bukayo Saka year on year is the development of his game and him adding things to his game and becoming a better player each year. And and, and I think that's testament to a player who, who understands the game, right? It's hard to add things to your game at the top level. So, yeah, Bukayo Saka is, is a really, really great player for me that is destined for big things. Yeah, I think it's... Um... Saka's basically just jumped through every hoop that's been put in front of him, right? When he started, he was a left-back. Then he moved to the left side of midfield, played a bit. He's done well wherever he's he's been asked to play. 
had the issues at Euros. Then he came at the World Cup and was one of our best performers. I think a big part of why we didn't go through was him getting taken off against France. And he's the face of an Arsenal team who back to back seasons they've been in, in the title race and are going to get 80 plus points. So for me, I think um, he's, he's amazing. I think Foden has a, a an aura to him. And I think a lot of the time when we talk about like players, it's all right. So a certain mystique around them. And technically, he, he's a better player than Saka even though Saka's a high-level technician. Saka's quite functional with a bit, with, with like sparklings of like brilliance and wonder. And I think there's something about being a player who just like, just comes out every week, seven out of 10, seven out of 10, eight out of 10, seven out of 10, seven out of 10. Like we tend to take those sort of players for granted, I think, who just, they never had maybe necessarily stinkers, but then maybe a Foden will give you like a six, seven, six, seven, ten. 10, you know? And there's that 10 mm-hmm. is the one that really like, captures you and grips you so I think we're, we're, we're lucky to have both of them both under 20 25 years old both left footers so it'll be interesting to watch that go back and forth I feel like Pep to a certain extent is holding Foden back at this point we saw him start to really do well um when uh KDB was out and he was given the tools and obviously he's no KDB at this point but with his skill set it's obvious that the best place for him to be playing is centrally and he's already shown this season that if you give him those keys, he can do really well. Maybe Pep's less comfortable about a Rodri, Foden, KDB midfield free. But when you play him out wide, you, you limit what he, he's really able to do. So it'll be interesting to see how that debate goes. But yeah, Saka's been top for the last last few seasons. So I, I'm enjoying the tussle, man. Mm. Same, cool. same, same. I think people underestimate the value of uh, execution as well, from what you were saying. Like, People don't realise with Saka, yeah, he might not do some of the magical special touches that Foden can produce. Right. But it's really hard to get your ball out the get the get the ball out of your feet and whip the number of good balls in that he does because those right. are the things that actually actually contribute to games, right? So yeah. that's why his ratings are never like you know they throw all these different app rating stuff, but he doesn't ever have like he rarely has like very poor games. It's yeah. like, a, like his base is maybe like a six six point five out of. 10 and he'll maybe max out have the nines that, that he had maybe yesterday, but he generally stays within that region. Foden will have some games where he's anonymous and the game will completely, pass him, will completely pass him by, but then his top level, that 10, will just have you off your feet and applauding, right? Mm. Um, and he's done that a few times this season. So, yeah, man, uh, for me, I'd, I'd, I'd lean towards Saka, uh, but Foden for me is clearly the superior talent. So, yeah, we'll, we'll watch and see if Foden's performances and put him on that level where it's unarguable and undeniable that he's the very best in the league because I think that's a level of talent that he is. Cool. Gentlemen, relatively short, not short, relatively short and sweet. And sweet. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll do this again next week. Peace. Peace. Take easy, boys. Love. Yo, yo. When I spit bars in a ring, I'm gonna go hard like Santana. Sports Social Podcast Network.